ora kato. Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth and I'm a New Zealand-based personal finance blogger. In this podcast, I sit down and chat with a Kiwi about their putia, their money. And although I have a long list of questions, we just go where the conversation takes us. I just chat with people, I learn their story and condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from fellow Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and point of view on personal finance in Aotearoa. Plus, I could talk for an Olympic sport, so by doing it this way, you get an extensively edited version of the conversations I've had. Kerry and I have been emailing each other since mid-2018, discussing all manner of money-related things as they unfolded for her whanau of three. Kerry, her husband John and their four-year-old daughter had big plans for 2020, which included a move to Australia, paying off student loans, buying a home and starting new jobs. But we all know how 2020 unfolded and it was interesting to hear how Kerry and John, they didn't bow out in defeat as their plans went up in a cloud of smoke, but instead they stepped up, they created a new strategy and manoeuvred themselves into their first home and a more secure position right here in Aotearoa. But before I get into their story, I just wanted to share a message from Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. Having a side hustle or running a business can be profitable, rewarding, and take it from me, actually pretty fun. But if I don't keep up with the admin side of the happy saver, it can quickly get a bit out of control. So I use Pocketsmith to easily keep track of multiple income streams. Pocketsmith links to my side hustle bank account and keeps track of my fluctuating income and expenses so, at a glance, I can see if I'm running at a profit or a loss for the month and year, the invoices that have been paid, and I can calculate the tax I need to set aside. It helps me keep good records to monitor my business and it just takes me a few minutes a week to manage. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, then I've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. As we know, New Zealand is a small place, so to retain their privacy, I've chosen to call the couple I'm going to tell you about today, Kerry and John. And just to show how small the country is, it was not too long before we discovered a mutual connection ourselves, as we have members in our whānau who used to work together. Small world indeed. Now these two are both in their mid to late 30s and from the mighty Manawatu, a region in the lower half of the North Island. They've been together about 14 years now, having met in their early 20s. And to once again illustrate the two degrees of separation between Kiwis, when they introduced each other to their respective whānau, they discovered that their grandfathers used to be good mates, which is a lovely coincidence, I thought. In the early 2000s, Kerry went to university straight out of school, a four-year effort, she said, that saw her graduate with a Bachelor of Business Studies and a $35,000 student loan. She referred to her degree as a Bachelor of Bullshit, where you do a little bit of everything from studying management to psychology. Far from being a weakness, I see this more generalised degree as a strength, as it can take your career in many directions. For Kerry, it got her a job in Wellington, working with youth, which turned out to be intense and stressful, and not something she enjoyed. But the benefit of that qualification meant she could switch quite easily to something else. We didn't dwell on upbringings too long in this chat, but I did learn that while Kerry had quite a settled upbringing, John's was less so. His parents parted ways when he was pretty young, and he moved around a lot due to a lot of housing instability and having to move from rental to rental and place to place. There was never a lot of money going around, and this instability 
and the inability to make his own decisions understandably led to a decent amount of anxiety for John. John finished school and completed a trades course at Polytech, which is now known as UCOL in Palmerston North. He took on a small student loan while he studied, and then he headed out into the workforce into a hands-on labouring type job. On reflection, Kerry said he would say that going to Polytech at that time was a silly decision as he had no idea what he wanted to do, but as I learned more about him, I could see that it all worked out quite well in the end. While working in the job that she was not enjoying that much, Kerry managed to break her ankle playing sport and she went home to her parents for a bit of TLC. It was while she was laid up on the sofa at her parents' whare that Kerry's dad said, Now I just need you to pop in to see a mate of mine today, they want to talk to you about a job. So she duly hobbled on in there for a chat and she walked out with a job as a human resources assistant in a non-sworn role with the New Zealand police. She put it down to sheer good luck, good timing and saying yes to an opportunity. And what this also points to, in my opinion, is her ability to adapt to a changing environment. She could have been stuck on the couch thinking, poor me, I've broken my ankle and I work in a job I don't like. But she instead said yes to a new opportunity that got her away from Wellington and away from her stressful job. Kerry worked with the police for three and a half years and good things continued to happen because during that time she also met John. And like I have heard many times before, an older colleague with a few years of experience in the workforce pulled her aside and talked to her about superannuation, an incredibly boring topic for someone in their early 20s. It was 2007 and KiwiSaver had just started and they told her, you must join, you will join. And while she was very much meh about it and thought she would kind of worry about it later, he basically forced her to sign up, which is just as well because during that time of her life, there were no other savings going on at all. Had this colleague not done this, she thinks she never would have joined because this was a period of time where the very generous police super scheme was being wound up and being non-sworn, she could not access it anyway. And there was no other easy way to invest. So saving money was just not on her radar. The only way she knew that saving for retirement was important was because of these older mentors and what they shared with her. Plus, in her role in human resources, she spoke with a number of people about organising their exit from the police and she saw the value of their retirement funds when they did and the value it added to their lives post-policing. After finishing up her HR role, she and John actually moved down to Wellington, both got jobs, he for a large construction firm and her in HR for a big bank and they started to have a pretty good time. In 2010, Kerry and John went to Australia for a quick holiday in the sun and to catch up with friends who had moved there, and they quickly saw that there was a lot to like about Australia. The cost of living was lower, the lifestyle was pretty fabulous, the weather was a vast improvement on Wellington, and the incomes were higher. And when they compared it to Wellington, where they were not saving and were just living an okay life, they thought, what's the worst that can happen? We're in our 20s, Let's move over, and if it does not work out well, we can always move home. For Kerry, decisions like this are easy to make, as she just thinks to herself, oh, it'll all work out. And she likes, she said, applying systems to chaos and working her way through a myriad of opportunities. But for John, he's a bit more conservative, and he didn't necessarily have the confidence that he could get a job. I think couples like this are good for each other. One motivates the other, while the other, in turn, points out the issues that may or may not occur, but together they create a workable plan. Her contract was ending and they decided to just go for it. They came home from their trip, took a short-term lease on a one-bedroom cold and horrible hovel in Haititai. She said it was so small that they could sit on the sofa in the lounge and touch the TV screen on the opposite wall. 
and for this pleasure they paid $280 a week. They then sold or stored their stuff before jumping on a plane. At that time he had less than $1,000 remaining on his student loan and she had about $7,000 remaining on hers. Kerry said that they benefited from the IRD arrangement in place at that time where you got a 10% discount if you paid it in full. So they took that opportunity before leaving Aotearoa and they had no other debt. When they arrived in Brisbane in 2011, they went looking for a place to rent, quickly finding a three-bedroom, fairly new townhouse for $380 a week. They were so used to shitty expensive Wellington rentals that they instantly thought, what's the catch? What's wrong with it? And the answer? Absolutely nothing. John quickly got a job building dongers for the mining industry. What's a donger, I hear you ask? Well, it's workers' accommodation, and I know it pretty well, having spent a couple of years living in one myself while working in the mines in Australia. Very comfortable it was too. Within six months of being there, they both had better and higher paying jobs than they had in New Zealand. The cost of living was lower for both food and utilities. Plus, the superannuation scheme was much more generous with employer contributions of 9.5%. Kerry said they had so much money coming in, they didn't know what to do with themselves. At that stage, she was very much a spender. Money comes in and money goes out. She can, however, save for things if she has a goal. John, on the other hand, leans more to being a saver. He likes to see money in the bank. It's comforting to see it there and building up. By this stage, they had shared bank accounts, retaining a separate one each for personal spending. So John had to apply a little bit of subterfuge to skim cash out of their shared account week after week for a little something he was planning. For six long months, he drew small amounts of cash out and literally stored it in an envelope hidden in the back of the wardrobe And when he had enough, he took that $3,500 cash into a jewellery store and paid cash for a ring. And they got engaged at the end of 2012. I often hear it said that it's hard to buy gifts for your spouse when you have shared accounts. So I liked his work around here. At that time, the New Zealand government would let you withdraw your KiwiSaver if you left New Zealand permanently. So that's what they did between the two of them taking about $20,000 over to Australia they genuinely could not see themselves returning to New Zealand anytime soon. So they took it out for that reason. They put it in a savings account and decided that it would be used to pay for their future wedding. Not quite the idea that the late Sir Michael Cullen, who developed KiwiSaver, had in mind. And nor do I recall her mentor at work telling her this retirement money could be used for a wedding. But there you have it. In the short time they had lived in Australia, their super funds had already outpaced that New Zealand amount. So they saw the retirement potential there. One of their shared goals became travel, all paid for with cash. They went back and forth to Aotearoa a number of times. They did a big trip around the United States. And as she approached the age of 30, they decided to do a prolonged visit to the UK. So they started saving up for that. As they prepared to leave, they created a bank account in Australia and they left $3,000 in there for when they returned. And this money would be a cash cushion and would be used to pay a bond on a new rental property. They also kept in contact with their employers, meaning that upon their return, they could just slot back into their old jobs. Such a simple yet key strategy to their success. They also sent money ahead of time to England to cover their first three months of living there. This would give them both a cushion to get there, to get settled and to get employment. And I really love this forward planning. And as she talked, I could see the evolution of her finances moving from just spending all of the income that came in to starting to plan more carefully for that income looking ahead a year or two. Around this time, she was using a home-built spreadsheet to plan for and track their spending, something she was very proud of herself for doing, 
and this would start to lay the foundations for her financial education. So after a good two and a half years in Australia, they left their jobs and they went to the UK in December of 2013 with a few thousand pounds in the bank. John secured a labouring job within a week, earning just £6 an hour, a big drop from his $30 an hour in Australia. She started a job in February 2014, and the pre-planning they had done gave them so much breathing space, she said. She said that they earned and spent with gay abandon and loved every moment of their time there. They enjoyed an 18-month European experience where they spent their time both working and travelling. Plus, they saved up enough money to let them come back to New Zealand for a four-month break and a nice wedding before returning to Australia. They had managed to see a bit of the world and it was all done with no debt, but apart from saving up for their immediate travel plans, they had no savings either. Then after less than a year of what they thought would be a permanent settlement back into Australia, where they slotted back into their old jobs, they actually decided to return home to New Zealand. It was to be health and Fano that brought them home in late 2016. They wanted to start a family of their own, and for the first time they felt that lack of a financial safety net and that lack of having Fano to lean on. For John, in particular, this constant movement and change is hard yakka and is anxiety-inducing. So together they worked on a plan that they both felt comfortable with, one that would give them stability and the ability for him to decide his future. Up until this point he was working in labouring type roles and was often clashing with the engineers he worked with because they had no awareness of how the decisions they made actually impacted the workers like himself, people carrying out their instructions. They lacked practical knowledge. John had hands-on practical experience in spades, so he decided he wanted to go back to study and gain a diploma in engineering so that he had the qualification to back up his practical skills, making him even more of an asset in any workplace. But first, in order to reduce stress, they needed to take a little bit of it on board. Kerry said that it is often her that comes up with the big ideas, which she will then share with John, letting him make the decisions about what will happen next, so that together they can manage any anxiety around it. It's a balancing act, she said, and with such open communication, it's one that really, really works. They returned to Wellington and had to set up life again. They were able to bring $40,000 in savings home with them, helped in part by the Australian tax system, which allows those who work a part here and then leave the country to get back a lot of the tax they paid, which very much worked in their favour. So using the $40,000 cash they brought home, they bought a car and set up home in a rented property. They stowed 20 grand away with the plan being that this would be the beginning of a future house deposit. However, much to their excitement, she became pregnant soon after, so this money was actually used to cash flow her future maternity leave. They also brought their Australian superannuation money home with them and added it to their KiwiSaver fund, which is with simplicity. This comes with strings attached though, their combined amount was $65,000 and this component of their respective KiwiSaver funds is locked in until they each turn 65, which I see as being a good thing as they have already drained their retirement savings once already. He began to study straight away, paying his course costs with a student loan and doing some summer school to pick up some credits he needed before beginning his diploma. He received a student allowance and focused full-time on his education, while Kerry picked up a job working in HR and earning over $100,000 a year, which, combined with his allowance, would be enough to support them all. They tightened their belts and focused hard on his education and on her job. They welcomed their daughter into the world while he was still studying, and life got a little bit more hectic for them both. By now, Kerry was actively using her spreadsheets to plan how they would cope with a new baby, with time off work and a husband in full-time study. 
They budgeted every dollar for the five months she was off work, and then they juggled her working, his study, and daycare. It was in 2017, while she was on maternity leave, that she discovered a new piece of the money puzzle. She was walking with her baby and listening to a podcast called Real Talk Radio, where the presenter was doing a series of episodes on putia, or money. One of the guests mentioned Choose FI, an American personal finance podcast. She went and looked them up, starting with the earliest episodes, and she said it was a revelation for her. Up until this point, she always found it doable to save for a trip away or other short-term goals, but to stash and invest money simply for the future had never occurred to her until this talk about financial independence told her that she could use money to buy her time. And she thought, I want that. I want to buy my time. It utterly clicked. She decided that she didn't want to work past the age of 55. She wanted a home of her own, KiwiSaver for themselves and for their daughter, plus a university fund for their daughter too. She thought, how do we do this here in New Zealand? And went swiftly down the rabbit hole, learning all that she could about financial independence and working towards an early retirement. Poor John, she said. She said about tweaking every single aspect of their finances, going into the finer details of it, and went in search of New Zealand content, and that's what connected her with me. She explained to me that they were doing everything right, and then, just before their daughter's first birthday, the most common event occurred for someone who was renting in New Zealand. The landlord gave them notice and sold their rental. They had to get out. That housing instability that John grew up with has certainly not gone away for those who are renting today. But by now, plans were evolving as to the next step for this whānau of three, plans that didn't include a landlord. They decided they had to get out of the rental market. In 2018, they moved out to Petoni. John started working, their baby girl went to daycare, and Carrie went to work. Between them, they began to make close to $200,000 a year, a very good income by most people's standards. But still, they were just not getting ahead. They went back to Australia in April of 2019 for a family holiday, and they asked themselves, what are we doing in New Zealand? Australia feels so much easier to live in. Despite their good incomes, they always felt just one unplanned event, such as the landlord evicting them, away from being back to zero. But, I asked, how could they not make it work on such a large salary? To that she said, well, we did not have big debt in comparison with some, but we did have some debt, and also we had some big expenses. After they'd paid tax on their earnings, paid 6% between them into their KiwiSavers, and paid 12% from his wages towards the student loan, they ended up with about $2,000 a week, just over $100,000 a year in the hand, which sounds like a good amount to me, but their rent was $610 a week or $31,720 a year, and the daycare was $300 each week or $15,600 a year, so almost half of their take-home pay has already been spent. Then they had all the normal costs many of us incur. Insurance, groceries, electricity, petrol, rego, gym membership, phone and internet plans. And there was the small matter of servicing a not-so-insubstantial car loan. Prior to the birth of their baby, they had been putting away $100 a week to replace the bomb they were driving around. But when a pole decided to jump out and hit it, well, they decided to replace it instead of repair. They traded it in, and because they were sick of buying dumpy second-hand cars, she said, to the delight of the salesperson, I'm sure, they bought a brand new car instead. They took out a car loan of about $25,000, and this car loan was also quite a drag on their money. 
all up, what with their rent, which it seems would only ever increase, living costs and debts they were servicing in the forms of student loans and car debt, she estimated that about 80% of their take-home pay was being gobbled up. They probably could have lived more frugally, but they wanted to enjoy trips to visit family back in Palmerston North and beyond, some dinners out and some shopping too, which is not too much to ask, I don't think. But this made it incredibly difficult to build their home deposit. The trouble with servicing debt is that so much of what you earn today goes towards paying for your past and not your future. Every time you take on a debt which has a weekly or monthly payment, you are predetermining where your future income will go. All of this was swirling through their heads when they were back in Australia for that holiday, and they thought really hard about moving back to Australia for good. They looked at a townhouse for sale which was close to their friends, a very nice five-year-old home for $385,000. When they returned home to Wellington, their rent went up again in 2019, of course it did, and looking at open homes was just soul-destroying because for more than double what that nice Australian house cost, you got an extremely average house instead. They had, in theory, managed to scrape a deposit together. Once again, they would be draining their KiwiSaver and borrowing money from parents, but they still missed out on the four auctions that they did attend. In the words of Kerry, it was bullshit and she was done. They decided that they had to make a call to buy a house and get stability here or go to Australia. During the Christmas break at the end of 2019, they sat down as a couple, had someone else mind their child, did their sums and they chose the latter. They decided to move back to Australia and would move in September 2020. In the early part of 2020, they started to downsize and shed stuff in order to move. They gave notice to their landlord and had accommodation sorted from March until they departed in September. They also fully cleared that car loan of theirs in preparation for moving by aggressively paying it off. A friend had a home of her own in Wellington, a child of a similar age and a mortgage. They would live with her, they would pay her rent, help her with all other household expenses and reduce their own rental costs by half. It was the perfect solution. But yeah, you know where this is headed, right? They were literally in the process of moving when COVID-19 hit New Zealand with a bang and they had 36 short hours to finish vacating their rental property and get all their gear to their new accommodation before the country went into full lockdown. They were still liaising with trade me purchasers who had to come and pick up their things ASAP, hiring a truck, hiring a storage unit, emptying and cleaning their rental. At the 11th hour, they decided to detour to stay with Farno in Palmerston North for the lockdown period so that they could have childcare support, which would enable them to keep working, which they hoped was possible over the lockdown. It was one heck of a crazy and uncertain time. During that Level 4 lockdown, they watched their Australian plans disappear very quickly. A global pandemic is not the best time to be relocating to a new country, so they had no choice but to pull the pin on moving. But there were positives to their situation, and to her credit, Kerry is pretty good at finding those. They had a clean slate to start again, and COVID actually became a watershed moment for the Fano. In lockdown, neither of them were essential workers, but his employer kept him on at 80% pay, and she was in the process of starting a brand new job, and COVID didn't stop that happening. And they had far fewer bills. They still paid some rent to their friend in Wellington because a lot of their gear was stored there. At her parents' whare, there was a Netflix subscription and phone plans, and they paid for groceries and chipped in with the power bill, etc. Plane tickets and accommodation costs were reimbursed, and just three to four weeks into lockdown, they had $6,000 extra saved up. And an email to me at that time said, 
We've got our expenses well and truly inside my income, so we are all good. And if I lost my job, well, now we have an emergency fund and savings on top of that. We'd be okay for a few months. For the first time ever, it's a good feeling. For me, receiving emails like that literally makes me breathe a sigh of relief to know there is a family out there in the midst of that chaos saying, we've got this. It's such a powerful position to find yourself in. That was when they sat down and decided that since they were not going to Australia, they would, once and for all, buy a house in Wellington instead. They hoped too that there would be a dip in house prices, as that's what many people were predicting at the time, a prediction that ultimately didn't come true. They decided they needed some fresh eyes on their financial situation, and they got in touch with independent, authorised financial advisor Nick Carr from Your Money Blueprint, and they told him their situation. He helped them plan out and price up some goals, and they decided to focus on the house as a first priority, building up KiwiSavers and university funds could wait. They needed cash for a deposit, and he gave them a clear steer on what size deposit they would need and what price a house they could look at. When they were able to travel again, back to Wellington they went, and in August 2020, John started a new job. Given their time frame to save a deposit maybe a little longer, back to the rental market they went, this time paying $700 a week when they filled the back end of a lease to a home that their friends were vacating. They started to look hard at houses, but their deposit they were bringing together simply could not keep up with the rising housing market, which was so frustrating, Kerry said. Something else that was also holding them back was the student loan, which by now was down from $28,000 to about $20,000 due to the automatic 12% deductions from John's wages. The advice they were given was what I've become accustomed to hearing, don't pay it off, it's 0%, build your cash position instead. But Kerry thought that getting debt free would surely help, and I absolutely agree. They had been going back and forth about getting rid of it. The advice from their mortgage broker was, ah, it shouldn't matter too much, but the banks they approached were reducing their lending by over $100,000 because of it. And in the craziness of COVID, they decided that they weren't going to be needing money for travelling anytime soon, so they may as well smash $20,000 worth of debt, zero interest or not. And she said it made a massive difference. They were suddenly a much better proposition for the banks because their take-home pay was now 12% higher. In November of 2020, they started to double the payments they were making to the student loan, but because they were reducing other spending in other areas, they had a little money to spare, and that was when they really started to hit it, making as many extra payments from their take-home pay as they could. By April 2021, it was 100% gone. So they were starting to make some bold financial decisions that were paying off, but in a case of one step forward and maybe one and a half steps back, the thing that Kerry credits as being their biggest financial mistake came back into the picture. Cars. That brand new car they bought, for whatever reason, was no longer fit for purpose. So just one and a half years after they bought it, they traded it for a bigger vehicle. If you are going to lose money on new cars, the biggest financial hit you will take is in the first couple of years. So they experienced that firsthand. In November 2020, they bought new again by trading in their car and getting another car loan of $25,000 with UDC Finance. She worked out that over the life of the five-year loan, they would pay an additional $9,500 in interest, which unfortunately was not enough of a jolt to make them see that this was a poor purchase they were about to make. But, there is always a but. After COVID came along, after their Aussie plans were stymied, after not being able to buy in Wellington, Kerry said it felt like the universe 
was telling them to come home to Palmerston North. It had always been an option, but because of her good Wellington job, she felt she could not get that money in Palmerston North. So they just never pulled the trigger. John also had a good job and his skills were very sought after anywhere he went. A friend called John up and said they had heaps of work, his skills and education were just what they were looking for, they have a job for him in Palmy, could he start on Monday? A rolling stone gathers no moss and things are rapidly set in motion. They moved in with family in mid-March of 2021 so that he could start work and she commuted to Wellington two days a week. I'm sure their family were pretty happy to have their three and a half year old Mokapuna to stay as well. Once again, her dad presented them with an opportunity. There was a house for sale just down the street that he said they should look at. They looked, but they were not quite ready to buy. They were trying to extract themselves from the Wellington fixed term lease, which was proving to be quite the nightmare. But just a week or two later, the house showed up in their online search again. This time it had a price on it. Offers over $585,000. And just to touch on ending their lease a bit more. Due to the really competitive rental market in Wellington, they had very reluctantly signed a 12-month lease back in November of 2020, despite them trying to negotiate a periodic lease with their landlord because they explained that they were trying to buy a home. They were stuck between a rock and a hard place though. Getting out of this lease took a lot of work over a six-week period. All up, including the rent they continued to pay after they vacated the property, the loss of their bond, the advertising to get a new tenant to take over their lease, the fees to the property manager they engaged to try to find new tenants, they ended up $6,500 out of pocket. The reason why they could not find a new tenant to take over the lease was because the landlord took that window of opportunity to increase the rent they were seeking from $700 that they were paying up to $760, and there was zero interest at that price. Landlords talk about market rents. Well, the market had decided that the price they were asking for this property was just too much, but conversations to the landlord fell on deaf ears. The landlord knew that Kerry and John had to do all the running around if they wanted out of the lease and were simply trying to squeeze as much from them as they thought they could get away with. In the end, after she had exhausted every legal avenue she could think of, it took her lodging a claim with the Tenancy Tribunal to get released but it was a costly exercise in both time and money. But back to that house sale, the financial advisor had said to them that if they could buy for under $585,000, then they would be in a position to achieve financial independence by the time she turns 55. They followed it up, and after getting a building report and what have you, they signed the paperwork soon after, buying themselves a really good, original condition house that the previous owner had enjoyed for the last 40 years and the family wanted to sell to a young couple, just like Kerry and John. They didn't end up with a $117,000 deposit, which would have been 20% of the $585,000. Because they paid off the student loan, their lending capacity went up by $100,000, and it meant they could now get unconditional lending, even though they didn't have a 20% deposit. Clearing that student loan was one of the best financial decisions they ever made, said Kerry. To make up their almost 90000 deposit between both of their KiwiSaver funds, they extracted $62,000 because they are first home buyers. That $65,000 they brought back from Australia is locked in there though, but if they could have, they would have pulled the rest of that too to build up their house deposit. However, I think that their future sales will be very pleased that they did not, and that money can be left to compound over time. Family also lent them $20,000, and the small remainder was from savings. 
their total lending was $495,000. They moved into their new home in May of 2021, and their mortgage payments are just below $500 each week. And this payment is now stable. They get to decide for themselves if it increases or not, and that's a great feeling of control. John is now working full-time, earning $90,000 before tax a year, less than his Wellington salary, but because he no longer has student loan deductions, he actually brings home more pay each month than before. He also has full personal use of a work vehicle, which is a really good benefit to have. Kerry is working a 30-hour week spread across five days, two of which she commutes on the train to Wellington for, and the others she works from home. This commute, far from being a grind, is her podcast listening and chill time. On those days, she leaves home at 6am and is home by 7.30pm, and she earns $108,000 before tax. Both contribute to their KiwiSavers, which are with Simplicity and a growth fund, and she watched the value of hers drop during March 2020, but she just held her ground and kept on contributing, and it's more than recovered since then. And that calm head will serve her very well going forward, as there are sure to be many more market drops and a lot more climbs. Their daycare costs have been drastically reduced to $700 a month or $8,400 a year, due in part to the 20 hours of free care that they are entitled to receive, and this frees up cash to be used for other things. And with that in mind, what of that car loan, I had to ask? They still owe $18,000 to UDC Finance for that car, and every time you pay extra on one of these loans, Kerry said, they calculate costs, which makes it harder to pay off early. However, their mortgage lender has allowed them to also have a personal loan. By moving their debt from the UDC loan to a personal loan, they will wipe out interest costs of $6,000 carry calculated and would have their debt in one place. With this new lending in place, she then approached a car dealership and traded in their big car for a smaller four-year-old one. Because they have full use of this work vehicle, they have decided to go down in size for their own personal vehicle. The car yard also gave her $7,000 in cash because they bought a cheaper car and this money went straight on their bank car loan. When we spoke in September 2021, it was down to just $4,000 and because they are throwing as much money at it as they can, she calculates it will be gone by November. I will never get a car loan again, were Kerry's words. If she needs to change a car in the future, they will be paying cash. And Kerry, if you ever think of getting one, just listen to this podcast again. Now, their life is settling down as they settle into their new city. Their overall cost of living has greatly reduced. They have new jobs and a nice home. They finally seem to have some peace. The plan is to keep things simple from now on. If she didn't track their net worth, it would be hard to see that they are making progress because of the interest they incur with their mortgage. So Kerry is keeping a spreadsheet of their money and it's there that she can see the amount they owe on their mortgage starting to trend down. It started at $495,000. At the end of May, it was $488,000. And when we spoke, it was at $485,000. It's got a long way to go, but early signs are good. And with interest rates being so low at the moment, progress is faster than it might otherwise have been. Their goal is to pay it off within 12 years, which to me feels extremely achievable given their high incomes. Plus, the value of their home has increased in the short time they've owned it which indicates that there are many first home buyers out there still struggling to enter the rising market. Now that they are homeowners themselves, seeing the value of their home rise is a very mixed blessing, I'm sure. Given that John likes the security of cash in the bank, they are wary of being in a position of having no cash, 
so they have a small emergency fund of $1,500. They also have $3,500 sitting in a savings account, just as a backup, which is a fantastic idea because if the heat pump were to die this week, well, this money could pay for it instead of reaching for another bank loan. They have also set up a number of sinking funds where they are saving up for a variety of upcoming events, potential vet bills for their cat, for example. They also have a smile account, courtesy of the Barefoot Investor, whose principles they're kind of loosely following, where they are putting 10% of their income for future travel and some future renovations. But it's early days on this one. They might change their focus, but hey, even if they do, there will be a pot of cash waiting for them. Apart from their KiwiSaver contributions, they don't currently have any major investments going on at the moment. That's just not their focus at the minute, but it will be in time once their current situation settles down. Ideally, she would like to get a year ahead on all of their bills and to bulk up their emergency fund to represent three to six months of expenses. So this is going to be the focus for the next 12 months. Once things settle in, they plan to return to their financial advisor to discuss their current situation and the focus moving forward. And that's a great idea to keep doing that as they have the skills and experience to guide you. Kerry said at the start of our chat that the concept of financial independence was a revelation. She struggles with just putting money away just for the sake of it. But the fact that it can buy time is more meaningful. Becoming financially independent is just going to give them more options. And all the plans she's putting in place now see their money go to important things, whether it be debt reduction building up safety nets by way of emergency funds or saving up cash for something. Their money now has a strategy. Kiri is also starting to create a financial framework for their daughter who will head to school next year. Knowing what she knows now, she said, there is no excuse for not preparing our tamariki for buying a first home, but KiwiSaver is not the place to save for that. They invest $10 a week into a KiwiSaver Simplicity Growth Fund for their daughter, and this has a current balance of $2,500. They will continue these payments until she gets a job of her own one day and can then take over these payments herself. Their view is that this is for retirement, not for a first home. Plus, they have an account for their daughter where money just goes in and out as they sell her things as she grows out of them and they use that money to purchase the next size up. Their plan is to invest for her more broadly once she starts school and they don't have those daycare fees anymore. School costs will, of course, need to be factored in and they plan to cash flow computers, uniforms, books, and school trips, and she sees this building up over the coming years. She wants to be able to say to her daughter when she finishes up her schooling, here is some money to plan your next adult step. Buy a house, go to uni, start a business, or whatever. They are definitely going to give her a financial leg up in life. And I love this because we are doing something very similar for our own daughter. Without education, there is, of course, the risk that this child blows it all on shoes and cars, So to prevent that occurring, the in-home financial education has already begun, which will give her the skills to understand how money works. Since the age of just two and a half, she has received pocket money for jobs. Kerry said, you don't just get putia for being part of a family. That's life, suck it up. You need to earn it. They will pay for her clothes to go to school and what have you. But if you want more putia, then there are jobs around the home that you can do for pocket money. If you do the mahi or the work, you get paid. If you don't, well, you don't. So they find age-appropriate mahi for her, like helping to clean the car, things that she can really actually help with, and then see the reward for having done so. She receives a gold, silver, and copper coin for her mahi, and they go into three different tins because Kerry and John are teaching her that you don't spend everything that you earn. Instead, you always set some aside for later, thus avoiding teaching her to live paycheck to paycheck. 
and even though she's just four, she gets it. Happily picking lemons and fajoas to sell to her grandparents and her friends, they're having lots of awesome daily conversations showing her what life costs, how you earn putia and what mahi looks like. And this is what teaching your tamariki about money looks like in practice. Just lots of different little conversations and actions spread over time. And Kiri is herself settling into great routines. And when I asked what were her three main financial habits, those things that she just automatically does, she said the following. Number one, she uses budgeting software YNAB and she uses it daily. Number two, she has set up all her monthly bill payments to coincide with the day John receives his monthly paycheck. And number three, they each have a small weekly allowance and she prepays her Wellington coffee card with this. Yep, she's got her priorities quite right, that's for sure. For John, who sounds like a very chilled out guy, if he has enough money for chocolate milk, then he's all sweet as well. Also from this weekly spending allowance, she invests $5 into sharesies. And I see this as being a really good way to educate yourself about investing so that when the time comes and you can ramp up your investing, which is very much their plan, you already know the processes and the outcomes. Her money elevator pitch or a sentence that would sum up her approach to money relates to budgeting too. She says, every month deserves a new budget and that's okay. She used to panic if she had to make changes, but just understand that life happens and you should adjust your spending to match those changes. If her biggest financial flop was the buying and selling of cars, she credits her biggest financial triumph as buying a house that was within the limits they set themselves with the help of their financial advisor and not getting sucked into the hype to bid higher. They stuck to their guns, something she is very happy to have done. And I asked Carrie if, in regards to money, there was anything that keeps her awake at night. Ideally, she would like to work a lot less and be more available to her daughter, particularly as she will start the transition to school within the next 12 months. When you start to learn about FI, you get fixated on goals, and it's easy to forget how far you have come, and she has to remind herself to reflect on the fact that they have made really great progress more recently. She does not worry about money anymore because she has a plan and it's macro enough or broad enough that she can change it. Now that they have a workable 10 to 15 year plan to be mortgage free, she can see the progress they are already making reflected in her net worth tracking. And for the people listening to this, what advice would she give to them? She would encourage you to dip in and out of lots of resources and take a little from each. Basically, she is saying, get educated because it's within your own power to do so. She recommends some resources, the Barefoot Investor book, the podcast Choose FI, particularly the early episodes, The Happy Saver, 1500 Days to Freedom, Paula Pant, It's No Secret, and the blogs Mr. Money Mustache and Your Money Blueprint. Whew, okay, as I near the end of this episode, I just have another quick message from Pocketsmith, today's sponsor. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Listening to the news about house prices confuses me, if I'm honest, as house price increases are talked about with glee in many respects, and then the competing conversation of, oh, but it's hard for first home buyers, is also thrown in, almost as an afterthought. I don't think that home ownership is out of reach if you have a perfect lead up to your time to buy. That is, you start saving from the very first pocket money paycheck at the age of two and a half years old. But who does that? Pretty much no one. 
So the reality is that we each live our lives the best way we know how, and at some point, for the majority of us, our attention does turn to housing. Trouble is that with the escalating price of renting, the easygoing view that debt is normal and okay, and the ever-climbing price of homes these days, so many of us are starting on the back foot and have to pull a lot of levers if we are ever going to make home ownership a reality. So for John and Kerry, it was a messy start, but no messier than many, and they had to make compromises, changes and sacrifices to fix up a few mistakes they created for themselves and get out of the really unwelcoming Wellington rental market and get some housing stability for their own daughter going forward. Together they decided that they just could not justify to themselves overpaying for a bad home in Wellington, which ultimately made their decision to move very easy. Throughout the years for these two, there was evidence of some good money management, the staying out of credit card debt, for example, spreadsheeting their expenses and the planning and saving for the holidays away. But they often jinxed themselves when they took a step backwards with car loans and student loans, draining their superannuation not once but twice and spending all of their money when it came in instead of permanently setting some aside from each pay. But by finding their why, by finding bigger goals such as home ownership and stopping work by the age of 55, she has something concrete to aim for. She put some steps in place and did that thing she loves to do, apply systems and processes to chaos, and then set about achieving their goals. Hopefully, looking ahead, she won't get sidetracked by shiny new cars this time. Kerry said that as a couple, they work really hard and they work really well together. And although she drives the money Correro because it interests her, she is not doing it in isolation. They equally get to have a say. And that's the key. It would not work as a couple if they were not on the same page. So a huge car pie to Kerry and John for having come so far. There is just so much you can achieve in life if you just commit to doing something. Also, na mihi nui. Thank you very much, Kerry, for speaking with me and for taking the time to email me over the years. I always get a real kick out of seeing the progress of others and I am always cheering you on. So that's all from me this week and that also ends the series, I'm sorry to say. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app when I do release future episodes. So fear not, there will be more. I've not yet run out of fabulous Kiwis to interview. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could share this podcast with your friends and Fano. That's the best way that people can learn about my podcast and I would love it most if you would talk more about putia or money with your own friends and Fano and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. <laughs>